step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. The beat goes on. Beat goes on. Drums keep pounding a rhythm to the brain. La da 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 dee. La da 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 da. Charleston was once the rage, huh? Thing, uh-huh. Teeny Bopper is our newborn king, uh-huh. And the beat goes on. The beat goes on. The drums keep pounding a rhythm to the brain. la da 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 The grocery store's a supermodel goes on Drums keep pounding a rhythm to the brain La-da-da-da-dee La-da-da-da-da
good afternoon. Uh, Wednesday, and it's a perfect time, I would say anyways, for a cup of joe. My name is Joe Grumbine, and I will be your host today. Um, this is a show, it's a podcast, as we've mentioned before. It's an open forum podcast. But I want to be really clear about this show. This show is not just a random show. It's not just a show about whatever people want to talk about. This is a show about, by, and for a group called the Human Solution International. And there's a lot of folks out there that are movement-minded, movement-friendly, people that are legalize it folks. There's all sorts of folks out there that I would consider to be friendly folks, allies and whatnot um, in some sort. However, uh, the Human Solution International is a unique and special organization. <clears throat> and that's what this show's about. Special so, organization here. I'm trying to do something <clears throat> and a little different. that's what this show's about. I'm not sure why. Special There we go. We got the loop closed. And um, so it's all right. I, I realize that uh, everybody's a little slow to get started today, and um, I will echo everybody's slowness. I didn't uh, have any help building the show today, so. You guys get to deal with what's inside of my brain today. Um, I am sharing this right now on my public figure page. And then we can get started. I decided to do just one feed today. And this way I can spend my time with one feed instead of trying to look at two feeds. I think it's better. I think one of the values of doing a show like this is that it's real, it's honest, it's raw, and I've been spending a lot of time reflecting lately about myself, about my involvement in the effort to end prohibition, about the Human Solution International, about a lot of things. You know, the one thing that we know is that every day that goes by, nothing's the same. Nothing's the same about you as an individual. Nothing is the same about your surroundings. Nothing's the same about your dog. Nothing's the same about the plant that you take care of. Every single thing in the whole world, in the whole universe, for God's sake, is different every single day. And so if you don't take care of that, if you're not mindful of the differences and how are things changing, you're liable to sit still and let the things around you affect you more than you end up affecting the things around you. And sometimes it's more important to sit back and pay attention to what you're doing a little bit more than just charging full steam ahead um, without a purpose or 
with a purpose that might be misdirected. When you go and approach things from a long game point of view, you have to look at that target, the end game. And you have to look at it all the time because if you set your course and you're not mindful of the things that change around you, sometimes your target can move and you sit still and you can miss it. And a little miscalculation from a long way away can miss something by a long way off. So today we're going to hopefully have a bunch of guests. But if we don't, I'll be telling some stories. And I think that part of what makes this organization effective is how real it is and the fact that it's real in in ways that, um, I don't know, maybe more funded, more structured, more rigid, more rule-minded organizations can't be. The things that the Human Solution International does um, are very unique and very special and very important and will be instrumental to the end of prohibition. So as this show goes on, it's going to go on for between one and a half to two hours, depending on how many people call in. But I'm going to share with you all some points of reference, um, give you some insight as to the special nature of this organization and how we got where we got in some ways and, and what brought me down this road and, and what keeps me on this road. Um, some of these stories you might have heard before, but this show is also ever-changing, and we get new listeners every week, um, and sometimes a lot, and sometimes, uh, you know, we're getting thousands of new listeners sometimes. And so what I try to do as a courtesy to the long-time listeners is not be too repetitive. I know that even when something's important uh, to hear it, as a mantra, it sometimes gets old and you stop listening. And I'm hoping that I can keep your attention. I'm hoping that what we're talking about is important enough to pay attention. And I'm hoping, more importantly, that what I'm talking about is important enough for you to decide that you want to participate, that you want to be a part of this special team, this special group of people called the Human Solution International. We're going to talk about some uh changes that, that are happening in, inside of the group, some changes that are, that are happening outside of the group or that are happening as a result of the group. Um, we may have some special guests. I believe we have um, an attorney that's supposed to be calling in from Ohio. And um, yeah, I've heard from several people that um, this guy Brian Unger is supposed to be calling. So Hopefully he will be, and we can talk to an attorney who claims to have our best interest in mind. More often than not, my experience with attorneys is that they don't. Um, my experience with attorney is somewhat extensive. I spent uh, six years battling a legal case or a series of three legal cases, and I spent a lot of time with attorneys. I gave them a lot of money, and... Um, I've sat in many, 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 many courtrooms and helped many, many people 
uh, fight their own cases and, and dealing with their own attorneys. And even the ones that are good, when it all comes down to it, they're doing a job, generally speaking, and very few of them really have their heart in the game, so much so that they're willing to act as though they might um, have consequence if something goes wrong. So we'll talk, if I get time, we'll talk about my case a little bit and what, what brought this organization to exist and what keeps it existing. Um, so we have a, I don't know, I think it's been now seven weeks, and I'm supposed to have somebody call in that is the owner of a dispensary um, that's supposed to be calling in to tell us about what they're doing to support the end of prohibition. And if she calls in, I'll be happy. I know this person. I've met her anyways. Um, and I believe she's doing some good work. So um, what she's doing is, is very separate from the human solution, but very like-minded. So I certainly support anything um, that supports not only the end of prohibition, but the people that are victimized by prohibition, I support anybody and any and anything that helps those people. Um, one of the things that the human solution is uh, relevant is because our goal is a noble goal and it's an achievable goal and it's a goal that we'll know when we reach it. And I am sick to death of, of people and groups and ideas of um, reform and passing a law and taking baby steps and all of this stuff. Although some people that I care deeply about and dearly for support these things, I support their efforts. I support them as individuals. But it sickens me to think that we're so willing to give in, give up, uh, settle for less than when it comes to our rights to consume, cultivate, transport, participate in any way, shape, or form in growing a plant. And I want to share a vision with you that I have that would explain all of this. And hopefully we'll have time for me to do that. I think it's important if you can see this vision that I have that you can understand why I'm so passionate about ending prohibition and why I'm so passionate about the notion of legalization as being not only bad for the people that um, are, are affected negatively by it, but by the people who are duped into thinking that that's the only way it can be. And I, and, and I want to hopefully bring some comparisons to like-minded, similar-minded um, freedoms and, and what we would be willing to give up to have some semblance of that freedom, you know. And why is it that we're so eager and willing to give up when it comes to these legalization bills, but in other freedoms we're not? Why is it that something that can save our lives, that can help us in so many ways and can't hurt us and doesn't hurt us and won't hurt us, why is it that that's not important enough for most people to take this to the end game? And why is it that most people aren't willing to stand up and fight for it and risk their own freedoms 
I don't understand. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit. Um, George Martorano is going to be joining us today. He's got uh, a story to share with us. Uh, Craig Cecil will be calling in shortly, and he's going to be uh, sharing some experience that he has from Terre Haute, Indiana, where he's currently serving a life sentence. A life sentence. Life in prison for cannabis. Now, I got word that, you know, an article was posted about Craig Cecil on social networking. And as much as I'm adamantly, um, I don't know, put off by social social media and the, the idiot trolls that, that circle in there just looking for something to stir up and, and, and cause a ruckus and, and, and have their better-than-thou law conversations. Oh, he was breaking the law. And yet we have states that are willing to break laws. We have my state, California, breaking every kind of federal law all over the place, from immigration laws to cannabis laws to you name it. California was, we, we violated federal speed limit laws. We don't seem to care about laws except for when they apply in a certain way. Why is it that people, the same very people that are so negative to an individual who violates a law that shouldn't be a law, violates a law that has no victim, violates a law that is the product of greed and the product of, of self-preservation for company companies that we may or may not support or, or agree with? But that's what prohibition is emanated from. That's where it came from. It came from people that were threatened by cannabis, people that had big business and industry and interest in these industries, and they were able to successfully campaign and cause it to be made illegal. And today, 80 years later, we have people that say, well, he shouldn't have been breaking the law. He was probably doing something else. It's pathetic at best. And, and the fact that I'm giving it any uh, attention on this show is unfortunate, but I just feel that Craig is a guy who is a good guy, and regardless of what your thoughts or opinions about him are, um, he certainly doesn't believe in pri- doesn't belong in prison, and especially not serving a life sentence. Um, so. Being as that he can't defend himself on social networking, I'm going to throw a few words in for him. That's where I'm coming from. So um, before Craig gets on, I've got Glenn Keeling to talk. And uh, Glenn is one of our rising stars out of Ohio. And Ohio is a funny place. We had uh, uh, somebody who used to be very supportive of the Human Solution International um, lives in Ohio. And um, somebody who never was arrested, never spent any time in jail, and was very instrumental in the Human Solution International becoming a 501c3 and part of um, that whole evolution that that brought us to where we are, part of our growth, part of our history, part of our existence. A good person. Um, But today that we're growing and 
becoming very active, this person no longer is an activist, no longer has time for this, has family issues, family matters. But I can't help but wonder, this person I'm sure still enjoys cannabis, the family probably still enjoys cannabis, still is willing to participate in this very thing that we're fighting to end the battle against. I can't help but wonder, you know, what causes a person to decide they're not in the game anymore? When we have somebody like Craig Fietzel who's suffering a life sentence for this. And I, and I want everybody to understand that that's part of the dynamic that I deal with on a regular basis. I get phone calls, not every day, but several times a week from people that have cases and they get told that the human solution can help them. But what they mean by that or what they think they mean by that is that somehow we have a free legal service, that we have a lawyer that's going to get them out of their mess. Um, what they find out is that we're an a group of individuals who have a lot of experience in the courtrooms that we personally have either uh, suffered cases or have supported people that have. We know these cases intimately, and we, we, we at very least, at very, very least, we can support you from a personal standpoint. We know we have empathy and we have sympathy, and we can give you good direction. We can give you good guidance. We can't give you legal advice as we're not attorneys, and we're most definitely not your attorney, but that in itself is something that nobody does. Nobody does. I'll share a little tidbit about my story that is why it's kind of so important that we do this. And um, when I got arrested for the first time, and the first of many times for cannabis, um, I did everything as right as I could do. I'll take a couple of steps back. It was 2006. Um, my partner and I began to... Uh, do the legwork to open up a collective in California. And we went to, I don't know, three or four different attorneys to seek advice about the best way to do it. Because in California at the time, uh, we had <clears throat> what we called Prop 215, and um, I believe SB 420 was already enacted. So there was uh, legal grounds for there to be a collective, meaning that groups of people could get together and and grow plants together and create things and share them amongst themselves. There was a model for there being a dispensary. In L.A., there was already dispensaries. In, in the Bay Area, there was already dispensaries. Harborside, I think, was already in existence. Uh, the the pre-ICO dispensaries of L.A. were already well in existence. So there was a model for this to happen. There was also a huge sort of gray market of, of collectives that had emerged. And... Um, when my partner and I decided to move forward in this arena, we wanted to be as protected as we could. We wanted to do this in the safest way. We knew 100% that we would be violating federal law, no matter what, and because there was no way not to. And so we evaluated the risk versus reward. We, we determined that there was a low likelihood of the feds coming in on us, but there was certainly a chance of that happening. What we decided to do was, 
you know, to play the safest route that we could. We found a location in a city that did not have a ban. They didn't have an ordinance either, so we weren't able to get a license for a dispensary, but we were able to get a license for a similarly minded type of business. Um, and again, we went to four different attorneys, I believe, and one of them was very supportive and said, yes, absolutely, the time is right, strike while the iron taught, you can do this, um, you can be successful, and you can operate with, um, with impunity. Another attorney said, absolutely, don't do it. Um, you're going to lose everything you have, and it's, it's not going to go well. And two of the attorneys um, said there's a way to do this that's probably the least dangerous and the most safe, and, you know, there's a lot of people are doing it successfully. And this is four attorneys that were supposedly specialists, supposedly um, – I mean, we paid a lot of money for their time. It was just an initial consultation, but it certainly none of them were anywhere near uh, pro bono. We, we took money out of our pocket to get this legal advice that we relied upon as we moved forward. Our goal was not to uh, break laws with impunity. However, we knew we were going to be breaking laws. The federal law clearly says no. Still today, the federal law still clearly says no, regardless of what is funded or not funded or what, it doesn't matter. The law, federal law still says no. Controlled Substances Act has not changed one word, not one iota. And if you ever sit in a federal courtroom, which I have many, many times, I've watched every single person in the, every single courtroom get convicted because that's what happens in federal courtrooms. They don't take on a case they're going to lose. And every single person, we've had one person get vindicated, but they went through federal hell to get it, and they were convicted. Um, we realized that that was what was happening. And so as we entered into this, uh, we went to seek advice of, of some of the prominent activist organizations. And I put quotes around it because activists implies that you're actively doing stuff. But it turns out that most of these activist groups do one thing. They do, um, they raise money for themselves. Um, they support legislation. And that seems to be like the only route that anybody is willing to go. Let's change law. But nobody proposes a law that repeals prohibition. Occasionally one comes up but never gets real backing. And, and I'm going to share a vision with you that's going to clarify that. But there is not a law in the book out there anywhere that just repeals prohibition, removes the Controlled Substances Act, or removes cannabis from the Controlled Substances Act. It just doesn't do it. And so I had to find out the hard way that when I got arrested for the first time, we were building this this collective, and we built it literally from the ground up, meaning building walls and, and installing cabinets and, you know, every day putting another brick onto this because we didn't have any money. And every nickel that came in from the collective was put to the collective, and 
And that was ultimately, um, you know, what happened. So when I got arrested for the first time, I was literally transporting all the medicine of the organization um, in my vehicle. I had a little Toyota pickup truck, and I was, um, you know, driving everything from the collective to my house for safekeeping for the night because we didn't have enough money for our security system, and we didn't have enough money yet for a big safe to keep it safe. So, you know, we did what we could. We did what we had to. I got pulled over by a local sheriff about a mile from my house. I live in a rural part of town. I live at the end of a dirt road, and uh, I live in a place where there's no street lights, and, you know, houses are fairly spread apart. And there was a cop that was just bored to tears, sitting up in a dark little spot, probably taking a nap. He saw me drive by, and, and I was the only car that probably had driven by in maybe a half an hour. I mean, there, you know, there's no traffic down this road in the middle of the night. It was probably about 10, 10.30 at night. My collective is about an hour and a half from my house. So, yeah, it probably would have been about 10.30 after we got closed down and, and by the time I got on the road and whatnot. He pulls me over, and in my pickup truck, it was full of duffel bags, and the duffel bags were full of cannabis. And um, I had a, a, a dome tray full of clones sitting on my seat next to me. I had a stack of paperwork that, you know, showed what I was doing. Um, but this cop, he, he wasn't interested in any of that. Um he said, well, where are you coming from? And I said, I have a collective. He says, where's your collective? My collective's in Garden Grove. He says, well, you're in Riverside. You know, We don't know anything about what's going on in Garden Grove. And I said, well, you know, this is a state law, and I'm protected by the state law. And uh, hopefully I'll remember where I left off. But this is Craig Cecil, and he always gets the, uh, the front. And so without further ado... Sometimes it's like herding cats. You can imagine the 
the personalities amongst prisoners, some of them violent, some of them pleasant, some of them <laughs> from different gangs, but uh, it, it ends up being more fun than not fun, I guess. <laughs> well, I, I would think that anything to break the, you know, the monotony of, of uh, you know, being in a cell block would be great and to be able to get outside and, uh, you know, do something that is um, competitive. And, and like you said, it's fun. There's nothing nothing but fun about playing a game of baseball or softball. And so, you know, it seems like a great thing. Is there any sort of a, of a um, I don't know, inter, um, inter-facility games that ever happen? Somewhat, uh, somewhat, but uh, these these seem to go fairly well. As you know, I'm the commissioner, so I'm the one that gets all the complaints. But uh, most of them say, you know, are debilitating, so things seem to be working. So what was the score of the game today? Uh, 14 to 18 in a seven-inning game. Wow. <laughs> Again, another... Another pitcher's duel. It was a defensive game. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say another pitcher's duel. Yes, it, it's kind of funny because, you know, some there was one ground ball that ended up being a home run. Oh, jeez. I'm feeling it. <laughs> wow. Well, that's the kind of stuff that makes for uh, a good spectator sport, that's for sure. Oh, yes. It, it really brings a lot of humor there. You know, I mean, we uh, everybody gets the laughs, you know. So I, I spoke with a, um, an inmate by the name of Michael Thompson. Not He's not in a federal system. He's in the state of Michigan system. But he was doing a Viceland uh, interview today um, just after I got off the phone with him. So I, I, I let him know about yours and some of the other interviews that had already been aired. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Yes, yes. Uh, Iceland, from my understanding at, at least, is, you know, it, if they have a slant, it seems to be in our favor. So I kind of like the sounds of that. Well, you know, there, it, it, it's, a, it's a show that goes after ratings like every other show, but they take on the, um, topics that are interesting. And, you know, anything that's criminal is interesting to people that are not criminals. And regardless of whether, you know, they're real crimes or bogus crimes or whatnot, it's still, you know, it's the other side of the fence. It's a, it's, it's, it's the world that most people, uh, well, actually, lately, more and more people have experienced, but it's certainly not a, a, an experience that the majority of folks have, have experienced. So it's... Um, you know, they they touch on that taboo, the 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 forbidden stuff that people want to hear about, the train wreck. And you know, I, I I was telling Michael, you know, he had prepared a um, a presentation, and um, I was telling him that you know, at very least, um, there's an audience that's receptive, and you know, to be able to put together um, some thoughts and some words from a horrible place where the person that's delivering them doesn't belong in that horrible place, I think that, you know, you can hopefully garner some attention and some compassion and, and possibly, 
motivate somebody to take action. That, that's always my hope. Yes, and uh, the one thing that I am finding is, is amongst the reactions I get are usually favorable towards me. And the negative ones seem to be along the lines of, uh, well, you know marijuana is illegal, you know, you committed a crime, you, you know, you should do your time. But uh, even the bulk of those people seem to be in agreement that it really shouldn't carry a, a life sentence for a first-time marijuana firm. So, yeah, I, 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 I just today um, had some conversation. Uh, I, I don't know how relevant social media was before you went in. But today, it's you know, it's it's a thing that is so overpowering in a lot of people's lives. And regardless of what your point is, there's always these trolls that come around and have these negative viewpoints about whatever it is. And that somebody was talking about you on uh, in an article, and somebody had come forward and with that sort of an attitude. Well, he was breaking the law. He was probably doing something else, you know. And I had to make some comments about that on the air just in the beginning of the show. As you weren't able to do so and defend yourself, I just said, you know, um, anybody who actually has any kind of understanding about these situations, about um, incarceration, about being locked up, and about uh, our legal system, our our justice system, and what uh, prisons were designed for and what they weren't designed for, and what they've become, especially, and they've just become these, you know, money-making machines rather than a tool to protect society from dangerous people. And uh, the, the ignorance of people who, who don't get that, um, as much as I shouldn't let it bother me, it, it does when I know that the person that it's directed at can't even answer to them. So I, I threw a couple of words out in, in your defense today. <laughs> Well, the one thing is, I was arrested in 2002 and prosecuted in 2002, and what the big thing of that era was is the prosecutor's uh, goal was to prosecute uh, as many people as possible. And unfortunately, on the federal conspiracy charges, they managed to sweep up anybody with any sort of tangential connection at all with the people that were committing the crime. For instance, in, in my conviction, nobody's ever alleged that I bought or sold marijuana as part of my crime or, you know, had anything to do with marijuana, only that I provided, you know, services to people that hauled marijuana, and that made me part of the overarching, you know, conspiracy. And the goals at, at that time, in the early 2000s, were to arrest and prosecute as many people as possible. So in my case and in many cases, the people that were actually the the big offenders, the big dealers, they weren't even prosecuted. They were allowed to point the finger at a whole bunch of people and escape prosecution because the goal was to prosecute as many people as possible. Now, the, there's been some announcements just recently that I've read, and these come out of the, I forgot his name, but he's the... Uh, new head and the deputy head of the uh, Drug Enforcement Agency. And they've kind of redirected their efforts now. Where their efforts are directed aren't so much into, you know, trying to pick up and prosecute as many people as possible, or especially 
as they were back in the era when I was arrested, to even prosecute people that were dealing, you know, drugs in local neighborhoods, really kind of small amounts of drugs, but the federal government was prosecuting those people. Even those, it's hard to say, you know, it's hard to look at a lot of those cases and say they were federal matters. But um, regardless, the, the changes that they've made now is the DEA has directed its efforts into going after the large organizations and, and their primary focus is to go after the transfer of money and uh, to find these large, you know, dark web organizations that are especially distributing the fentanyl and the uh, heroin and the prescription drugs that are killing tens of thousands of people in this country right now. So they have actually changed their direction and they're going after cases that really do have a federal uh, or international aspect to them, you know, an interstate aspect to them as far as, you know, transferring large amounts of bitcoins or, you know, cryptocurrency kind of things amongst the, the groups that are bringing in, you know, large amounts of fentanyl and heroin and all that from China and from other countries. So those cases truly do have a federal, you know, aspect to them and not a state or a local, you know, um, really an aspect to them other than that's where the drugs end up being. But the federal government now is looking at prosecuting the big people in the dark web that are doing big things. <laughs> it really takes a federal organization, a, you know, a fairly uh, sophisticated, you know, prosecution to, to find them and, and uh root them out. You, you see the recent cases they're bringing are 100, 150, and 200 people, and they're, they're all people that, you know, are responsible. They, they can tie them directly to the deaths of people from these drugs, and they can tie them to uh, millions or hundreds of millions of dollars. So they really have changed how federal drug prosecutions are occurring. Well, I certainly hope that that, that is a trend that continues I, I was looking at some statistics over the last, I think it was five years, and the money that's seized from marijuana cases is overshadows all the other drugs combined by like 75 to 1. Um, and, you know, when people think about why, and a lot of these cases are cases that are never prosecuted. The uh, federal government is famous for coming in, and so are state and local governments for that matter, coming in and raiding a place and seizing assets and seizing uh, money and property and whatnot and never prosecuting the case. Um, and I, I think that, I don't know that that's changing or changed or going to change, but hopefully the cases that at least are prosecuted are cases that truly have a victim. You know, that's when the, the cases you're, you're talking about are cases that actually have victims, and if they're using money to find those people, Hey, so be it. I, I am not an advocate of anybody, um, you know, furthering uh, a situation that could cause injury or death. And certainly fentanyl and some of these other drugs are, are breeding grounds for that kind of behavior. And I think anybody should be allowed to do anything they want. Um, but if what you're doing is, is putting somebody in a situation where they're likely to be injured or die, I think you got some liability there. So um, certainly I hope <clears throat> that if the government is changing its tack, that it is certainly focusing on these cases. 
But I do know this, that the cannabis industry, as it emerges, is full of resources. And um, I, it's such an easy target that I, I just hope that all of a sudden I start seeing some different numbers that I've seen because it was really staggering to see the amount of assets seized um, you know, from cannabis cases as opposed to all the others. It's because they're easy. The burdens of proof are so low. The uh, forfeiture uh, proceedings and the, the forfeiture activities that are, that are going on are, are really a modern-day witch hunt. I remember before I was arrested, I'm an aircraft owner, so I knew a lot of people at the airport that, you know, had private and they would seize and forfeit airplanes if they caught them with, like, seats removed and all that because their theory was is that it made an, an airplane better equipped to haul narcotics because it was lighter and had more room and it was seats removed. It would, I mean, these things are absurd, but it, it's what they're doing, and like you're saying, the, the goal is to reap as many dollars as they can, and it, it's... It perverts our, our uh, federal drug prosecutions. How many people are, are dying from marijuana versus, or even from money versus how many people are dying from heroin and fentanyl and all that? But uh, that's a second to beep, Joe, and I, I hope we, our, you know, federal law enforcement can wise up and and follow, you know, fentanyl and heroin and where people are dying rather than marijuana people who make money supplying medicine to people. I couldn't agree with you more. And, uh, you know, I, if people like us that can make a difference and our voices can be heard um, in the votes and, and who we allow to represent us and who we don't allow to represent us. And I think, you know, maybe one day we'll stop uh, reelecting these idiots um, that have the campaign engines uh, that trick us or, or lull us into continuing to elect them when they don't represent us. Um, I'm going to continue to rail against my congressman, whose name is Ken Calvert, and he's a complete douchebag. I would love him to come on the show and talk to me about why he's such an anti-cannabis individual, but he represents my district, and I've written him numerous letters and I've had a number of people do the same, and his automated responses are straight out of the white paper, straight out of reefer madness, and lacking any real insight or lacking any possible connection to his constituents. And I think that hopefully, I don't see it happening, but hopefully more and more people will start to wake up and realize that their congressman isn't representing them and maybe look to a candidate that might not have that political engine, that might not have all the money behind them, but listening to what they say, maybe one that, that will address some of these issues, and maybe we get some underdogs in there that are willing to stand up to the system a little bit and make some real changes, because these little changes, passing these little bogus laws, um, are never going to get us the freedom that we deserve. And I can't help but wonder, why is it, that we are, have such low self-esteem as a nation to think that we need to have a plant regulated that can't hurt us. I don't understand why it is that we don't feel that we are worthy of this freedom that we are bestowed upon by our Creator when we take our first breath of air. So um, 
hopefully that's something that somebody decides to think about. <coughs> All right, you are listening to a Cup of Joe podcast, and it's brought to you by the Blog Talk Radio Network and the Coffee Party. And, in fact, currently it's the only show broadcast on the Coffee Party Radio Network, um, but sometimes there's a lot of shows that they produce. <coughs> if you want to listen to this show or want to participate, all you have to do is pick up your phone and dial 646-929-2495. And our amazing screener, non-compliant Mary, will pick up and ask you a few questions. We've got a few people on the line that want to speak. We've got Glenn Keeling on the line. He's a chapter coordinator out of Ohio. Um, we have Creed, <coughs> who does have a petition who has uh, been on the show the last few weeks, and um, he's going to be talking. We have Brian Unger, an attorney from Ohio, who's been uh, um, uh, going to be calling in, and now he did. So let's go ahead straight up to Brian, and um, apparently we have an attorney who has our best interest in mind and wants to get in and help in this, and I'm interested to hear what he has to say. Brian Unger, you are live on the air. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Hey, great, great. Good to be on. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I don't know if you're aware, but the, <clears throat> the last caller, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry, I don't have a cuff button here. Um, the last caller was Craig Cecil, who's a man that's currently serving a life sentence in federal prison for pot. And uh, he's uh, one of the people that I've been supporting for over 10 years. And, well, no, it hasn't been 10 years. It's been about seven years. And uh, he was involved uh, in Indiana. He had a truck repair company, and one of the accounts that he serviced was um, some people that were doing some smuggling, and they would, you know, modify their vehicles, <clears throat> do their smuggling, and then they'd bring the vehicles to him, and he would fix them having nothing to do with the with the smuggling whatsoever, but he was a guy that fixed trucks. And um, he got they got caught up, and, and uh, he ended up taking the heat on conspiracy charges. And he's, uh, mm-hmm. I think he, he was convicted in 2002. Here it is, 2018, and he's uh, serving a life sentence without possibility of parole. Wow, I, I I can't imagine that. That's so terrible. Um, it's it was just that one charge, or was it a uh, was it kind of like a three strike program? Yeah, no, there was nothing. Uh, there was no nothing else. There was no victim to this. It was his role oh in that got him with the well, conspiracy. I, yeah, oh. crazy. Life in prison, conspiracy. Now, what, what about the people that were actually uh, transporting it? I imagine, did they go down they're as all, well? They're all free. Every one of them. Some of them did time. Some of them did a few years. But everybody rolled over and ratted on each other, and Craig was the only one that didn't uh, didn't cooperate with the government, and he he took the life sentence out of it all. Oh, my God. Well, how could he? I mean, yeah. it sounds like he didn't really know what was going on. He was just fixing the truck. Exactly. All I the mean, other people in uh, are free today. It's crazy. Wow, that's so terrible. Um, and, jeez, uh, you, you know, the 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 problem with that, um, you know, later down the road is 
let's say, you know, marijuana is legalized in the, in the state of Indiana, I'm not sure of its current status. I imagine it's not. Um, one, one of the issues with this is that people in prison, uh, you know, they're not, they, they won't be um, pardoned, you know, from the, from a later legalization of a drug that they are sitting in prison for, unless, you know, the state legislature uh, specifically um, writes that into the law. Uh, it, it, I, I think that's an issue. I know he's in federal prison and who knows if the federal government is ever going to uh, capitulate. I imagine it would take a majority of states to do that um, to actually go ahead and, and legalize marijuana, which uh, I think obviously should happen at this point. Um, but yeah, well, I, I can't believe that can even happen to somebody to, to be sentenced to life in prison over a, a conspiracy charge. I, I hope, and I, I would hope some people are appealing for him or, or helping him to appeal that. Um, yeah, he's, he's, wow. he's gone through all of his legal channels. It's a really sad case because um, uh, he was a he was a um, a contender for the clemency that was going on when Obama was was uh, doing that. But uh, a prosecutor and uh, and a judge got in and kind of undermined his his clemency petition and um, made it to where. Oh. Uh, they basically forged his his name onto a document and, and made it that he had accepted um, a lessening of his sentence rather than uh, being being uh, qualified for this clemency, and it it removed him from being able to uh, you know to even be a contender for that, and it didn't. He never had anything to do with it. And the thing that's even worse about all this is that he's not the only one. There are a number of, I mean, a substantial number of, of pot prisoners that are in there for only pot, only pot charges and, and even without enhancements, without other in charges that are serving life terms. And a number, I mean, like, mm. I don't know what the actual number is, but, I mean, it's more than 50. Um, it's, a, it's a substantial number. Even today, after all these... Uh, you know, prison reforms after all the things that have been going on supposedly with legalization, um, federal prisons still full of pot prisoners. But anyways, oh, I, I know about, it. It's, it's, yeah, go ahead. So, so um, your name is Brian Unger. You're an attorney out of Ohio. Why don't you tell us a little bit yep. about um, you know, about your practice and about what uh, what brings you here to the show? Yeah, sure. Um, so I, I practice mostly in Akron, uh, which is Summit County. I'm a part of a small three-man firm. It's the law offices of Warner Mendenhall. Um, we are mostly a <laughs> we're we're kind of we're kind of a do-all practice. Um, you know, we we do some criminal defense. Uh, you know, bankruptcies. We practice a lot in the Federal False Claims Act. Um, so like whistleblower law, uh, a lot of municipal stuff. I mean, you know, we're we're just general. Um, we're generally interested in legal issues. Certainly interested in uh, in the new um, marijuana, well, medical marijuana reform that's going on in Ohio. Um, as far as it's certainly not our our main focus, but uh, we absolutely, you know, would represent uh, anybody who's facing some trumped up charges in the Akron area. And you know, we we love. Uh, 
we, we love to help out where we can. So that's a little about me. <laughs> okay. Well, um, I mean, as far as experience with these cases, I mean, I know um, as much as there's been legislation um, making legal grounds for people to have protection and having uh, an affirmative defense, um, having, you know, a, a, some sort of specific protection if they follow certain rules, uh, we're finding that in Ohio specifically, I, I've got a number of people that are still, you know, rogue sheriffs or rogue law enforcement agents are not agreeing with this law and they're treating them as though uh, they don't have these protections. And as you know, um, an individual, if they get arrested, um, whether or not they're guilty of anything, they're going to get treated like it for a while. They're going to get arrested. They're going to have their property seized. They're going to be given a bail, maybe or not. Uh, they're going to have to go to court, take their time off of work. You know, people lose their, li their, their livelihoods. They lose, you know, everything in the process of all of this. Um, what are your thoughts about about all of that? I mean, I I, I agree with you. Um, you know, I I'm, I'm not going to point any fingers specifically, but I've I've seen plenty of what seems to be a vindictive prosecution, um, especially in a case uh, like a gentleman who is is incarcerated uh, for life now, where where you won't cooperate, where you actually want to stand on your rights and um, you know assert them to law enforcement. Uh, there's I guess there's a lot that can um, that can make judges and prosecutors angry, especially in in the smaller smaller town courts. Um, a, a lot of people aren't going to get a fair shake there, and and it, it absolutely is devastating. I mean, I I agree with with everything you said. Financially, you you have to hire an attorney for a, a prosecution that can be very very expensive um, to defend it's uh it it really is is a drain on people people will go as far as you know um getting second mortgage out on their house to pay for a a good criminal defense lawyer if if they really have a lot of charges stacked up against them and and uh they they don't get any of that back you know if if you if you win you don't recover your fees um so it's it <laughs> i i i don't want to go you know too far and in saying um, too much, but I, I absolutely agree with you. Um, and uh, in Ohio specifically, one of the big issues is this uh, the the private prison system, which you know, from my understanding, is uh, quite the advocate to keep marijuana illegal. Um, there are plenty of incarcerated individuals in Ohio that have you know done nothing but uh, marijuana-related things. Um, you know, whether that's possession or, you know, I, I've, I've seen people get charged with, with trafficking for, um, you know, with, with no real basis, just for having a small amount of pot. Um, you know, maybe they were with somebody else or, or uh, the, something about the, the circumstance made the law enforcement officer uh, or rather gave the law enforcement officer a, a basis to charge them with trafficking. Um, you know, one one of the other things that I see a lot is, uh, well, <laughs> I, I I don't know how much interest this is to the show, but 
uh, Ohio is one of the few states where you can be um, where you can get a, a DUI or an OVI uh, for having a very uh, minute amount of marijuana in your blood if you um, consent to a blood test. Uh, and it's, it's absurd. It's, it's something like um, I, one of the laws, one part of the law is written to where two nanograms in the blood um, is chargeable as an OVI. Uh, so I've I've dealt with that issue a lot. Um, yeah, that's actually one know. of the tactics. That's one of the tactics that um, uh, law enforcement is using in states that are quote unquote legal, and they're going after um, you know uh, DUI type type uh, charges. And the problem with that, of course, is that there is no true standard that you can measure the intoxication of an individual outside of a, you know, a, a subject or a somewhat objective um, physical test. And so, um, you know, whether you have two nanograms or 2,000 nanograms um, in your blood system at any given time has very little to do with your level of intoxication depending on who you are and what sort of uh, uh, tolerance that you have. And, you know, it's just one of those things that, um, you know, people, I'm not an advocate for legalization at all. I'm, I'm not an advocate for uh, taxation and regulation and all of that. I'm an advocate for repealing prohibition. And as much as, you know, people somehow feel that that's not reasonable, I think to myself, what if, what if we were to take that kind of approach when it came to civil rights? What if we were to take that mm -hmm. kind of approach when it came to, uh, you know, women's rights to vote. We only allow them to vote on certain issues because, you know, we don't want to upset everybody. Or, or, you know, this could go on and on. I could get deep into this. Why is it that everybody seems to be okay in, in minimalizing their value in this equation when it comes to the right to ingest or cultivate or, or, or deal with a, a plant that has yet to this date ever killed anybody? Right, right. No, I, I believe me, I, I agree. And you know, it's it's the classic uh, comparison to alcohol, as I, I think you discussed a little earlier with with somebody. Um, uh, you know, which alcohol is a very destructive drug, um, yet its use has uh, been been accepted. It, it's socially acceptable. Um, marijuana for whatever reason, uh, whether you want to blame the tobacco industry, the alcohol industry, uh, probably mostly the alcohol industry, <laughs> but uh, it's, oh, it's it, for it's whatever lobby. reason, very, very frowned upon. Yeah. There's, there's a, there's a huge lobby against it. Um, and it comes from multiple streams, obviously. And, but the point is, um, you know, this doesn't seem that the, the American people have, the stomach to take this thing all the way home and to demand the right the same way that they've demanded other civil rights. Um, but right. to, not to digress too much, um, I, I have a lot of callers on the line in a limited amount of time. Um, is there sure. a specific message that you wanted to bring to the show? I'm, I'm glad to give you the, the, the airtime, and I'm, I'm very glad to meet you. I know um, uh, Glenn Keeling, who, who introduced um, you to me, by name um, is, is very supportive, so I just wanted to make sure that you do have an ample opportunity to 
uh, to get a message to us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, I, I uh, respect what you guys do. I mean, I'll keep up the fight. I, I uh, obviously agree with, with your viewpoints on, I, I guess I should use the term um, repeal of prohibition rather than uh, legalization. I like that. I'm, Very good. I'll try I to that. That. <laughs> I think definition of terms is very important. I think that um, you know words are very powerful, and if we use correct Absolutely. words, I think we can get the, the the desired outcome a lot easier. Yeah, especially especially in the legal world, words mean everything. Yeah. So. <laughs> words are paramount. In the All right. Well, yeah. They're they're, um, they're, they're big. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay, well, hey, yeah, uh, thanks for having me. Um, uh, again, you know, if if I can shamelessly plug the firm, uh, the law offices oh, of Warner Mendenhall in uh, in Summit Summit County, we're in Akron, Ohio. Um, you know, give us a call uh, if if you're in the area and you're having trouble or you know whatever. Three three zero five three five nine one six zero. Beautiful, beautiful. And how far out, out outside of the Akron area are you willing to go? I mean, we'll we'll go to Cleveland. We go to Columbus. We we stretch pretty far. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, Brian, I appreciate uh, you coming onto the show, and and you know, um, uh, a lawyer that has uh, the spirit of 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 something being right and wrong is hard to find. And I've dealt with a lot of lawyers over the years, um, and certainly as as much as I wish we didn't need them. We do when it comes to these situations. Um, nobody's ever yep. going to be successful, not ever, but seldom is anybody going to be successful trying to represent themselves in a criminal case. And right. so um, you have two choices, go to law school, learn it, or get a good lawyer. So I appreciate uh, you coming on the show. And, um, you know, um, if something comes up, I'd love to have you back. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. You bet. Okay, folks, Brian Unger from Ohio. All right, we got Chelsea Sotura from a California dispensary owner uh, to give us a little talk about what she's doing. Um, and the work she's doing is specifically helping inmates, and she works with hand-in-hand um, uh, -hand with Dee Dee Kirkwood, who's one of the Human Solution members and, and longtime activists, advocates. Um, and I met Chelsea at Dee Dee's place uh, probably a year or so ago, maybe a little more, and uh, she was going through her own issue. But um, she's got a license up in, I think it's Ojai, and um, she's actually doing something to help the folks that are suffering from prohibition. And uh, I said I was looking for that person. It's taken me seven weeks, but we got one. Chelsea, welcome to the show. It's great, great to have you here. Good to talk to you, Joe. It's been a while. Thanks for having me. It has been a few. So I understand you got yourself some roots laid down, and it's in Ojai, right? Yeah, up in Ojai. It's a really welcoming city, and um, uh, things have been going good. We opened November 2nd. It was exactly a year anniversary of the day I got arrested and raided, and we've been um, – just chugging along ever since under a medical um, retailer license, and they're they're looking at opening up to adult use um, probably in the next couple months. Well, that's fantastic. Um, but most importantly, 
I certainly want to talk about uh, the work you're doing specifically to uh, help those less fortunate than ourselves and understand uh, from Dee that you've really uh, stepped up in a, in a profound way. Why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, well, Dee has just been um, such an amazing source of support and inspiration for me since I've um, gone through a little issue of my own. Like you said, I'm, my charges are still pending. I've been waiting a year and a half for something to happen in my case. Um, I've been told since November that my charges are going to be dropped. And so, anyway, just kind of having a sense of reality that um, what I'm going through is is kind of like nothing compared to what some other people have gone through. It's just really helped me keep my, my own problems in perspective. And when Dee Dee kind of told me about the work she'd been doing, writing letters to prisoners for so long, it just really touched me and inspired me and... Um, made me want to participate in some some whatever way I could. I mean, I've since this has happened, I've been financially sort of um crippled myself. I am still waiting to get my my assets back out of civil asset forfeiture. And um so there's not I, I didn't feel like there's a lot I could do, but but once I was blessed with uh, a license and I found investors to fund my um, restart operation. I have uh, enough space in the retail area. I'm like, well, of course I would do this. There's no reason why I, I couldn't or shouldn't or wouldn't. Um, it's just it, it, Dee Dee's story and, and, and all the work she's done to just keep the focus on these people. Um, it's so important. And, and I was happy to be a part of it. I think the work she's done with her pot fairy design um, was so clever and cute and I just, I'm like, this will be perfect in my dispensary. So it's just, it, from a business perspective, it made sense too. I'm like, people are going to want to buy this. But um, whatever I could do to raise money to to, to give these guys uh, in prison some marginally better quality of life, I think would be, make me feel better. I mean, it just sucks for all of us. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's really honestly the least I could do. Well, you know, it, it, it's interesting. Um, I, I think the the work that Dee Dee's been doing is uh, remarkable. I've had Dee Dee on the show numerous times, and I don't know if you got on the show today um, when Craig Cecil was on, but he calls in every week. Yeah, I and, heard him. Yeah. Okay, good, good. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, I've told people, you know, the, one of the reasons I do this show is to bring awareness to these um, inmates, and every time Craig calls, he he puts himself at risk of losing what little privileges he has in that place, and mm-hmm. he puts himself at risk of being put in solitary. But he does it every week. He calls in, and he he has that 15 minutes to to share himself with the public. And I I've always said if I only had 10 listeners, I'd still do the show to give Craig an opportunity to talk to 10 people. And having yeah. been locked up, my fortunately not for that long of a time, but long enough to know that um, the connection to the outside world is your connection to hope, and uh, to know that there's anybody in the outside world that cares about you and, and that's willing to listen to you, it, it's it's a gift that I can give. Um, now the work that you have uh, currently hanging in your location. Uh, is that all from Michael Pelletier, or do you have some other works as well? Yeah, the, I have five paintings from Michael Pelletier right now. 
And we're working on getting his note card sets in so we can just sell those and, and raise extra money for him. If there are more prisoners that are doing art that that can get it to us, I would love to do whatever I can to help them out. Um, I, I, I have a lot of space right now. It's not being used. So, um, yeah. Well, I very much appreciate that. I understand Judy's making some, uh, some new necklaces and, and some other uh, some other little things. I guess she's uh, she's done with the with the aprons, but uh, I, I I I'm a collector of Didi's stuff, and I've got one of Michael's paintings and a couple of sets of his cards, and you know we all do what we can. Um, how does somebody find you? If somebody wants to see this display and wants to support your effort to support them. Um, how do they find you? Well, our website is probably the fastest way. It's sespe.org, S-E-S-P-E.org. Um, I'm working on putting – I, I want to do some kind of uh, just a special fundraising event night to showcase these paintings and, and, and find other ways to raise money um, for Michael to, to help keep his painting hobby going. So when I um, when I figure something out, hopefully that'll be soon. Um, I'll call back in and and let you guys know. You can put the word out. But right now our website is probably the best way. Our address is there. Contact information, and um, I'll I'll be working on getting more information up about the paintings that we have really soon. Okay, can you give that address one more time and say it slowly for for those of us that are a little slow on the uptake? <laughs> sure, no problem. It's uh, it's www.sespe.org. It's S like Sam, E like elephant, S like Sam, P like Peter, E like elephant. dot org. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, um, you always have a voice here. If you have something that you want to announce, um, every Wednesday from five to seven p.m. Chelsea, I appreciate you coming on the show, and I most especially appreciate that finally after seven weeks. Somebody that is involved in the industry <laughs> is willing to step up and talk about what they're willing to do to help us support those who've been victimized by prohibition, and I have deep respect for that. So thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you so much, and I apologize. I haven't been listening. Um, I've just been a crazy, busy, mad woman taking care of my dog with cancer, too, and I'm going to tune in more regularly now so I can make sure I step up when I, when I, and I can heed the call more quickly. I, I wish there were more people out there um, that were doing that, listening, and, and I'll just, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. But thank you for all you're doing, and I appreciate the time. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Once again, Chelsea from Ojai, and uh, she's got a, a dispensary up there, and she's given uh, a place for the artwork of Michael Pelletier and, and some of the work that's supporting the prisoners um, that are suffering at the hands of prohibition. And, uh, you know, when we talk about the work that we're doing, and, and I, I try to choose words carefully because legalized to me is a bad word. Um, I'm not a proponent of legalization whatsoever. I can't see why, how do we give up so badly that we allow a plant to be made illegal, any plant? How is it that we gave up so entirely that we said, you can take away our right to have a plant? I don't get it. I don't submit to it. I don't accept it. 
I didn't accept it. I've been I've been charged with uh, 27 felonies involving cannabis, and I stood up to every single one of them. And today I have no criminal record, and not because I cooperated. I never cooperated one bit. Well, because I stood tall and I stood my ground and I didn't give in and I didn't cooperate and they finally gave in. And every one of us could do that because we're not wrong. And they know it. And they don't like it when we stand up and they hurt us when we stand up and they punish us for standing up. But if you have a little bit of intestinal fortitude and a couple of cuyones, you can do it. And it doesn't really matter um, what your situation is. I've watched people that were feeble, and and um, I've watched people die standing up. But they stood up proud, and they stayed standing up, and they didn't make it, but they got to pass with pride, and I tip my hat to them. Um, so think about this, folks. I'm going to share a vision with you. Hopefully I'll have enough time today to, to dig into it, but I want to share at least a glimpse of a vision of what I see, why we do this. It's been six years since my case was, 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 or four years since it was dropped. Four years. I haven't been fighting a case. And yet I feel just as passionate, maybe more passionate today, than I ever did about ending prohibition because it's not over. And I could easily be back in that hot seat once again, just like any of us. And we think it doesn't happen. We think it can't happen. We think it won't happen. But it does, it can, and it could. And it might, and I don't want it to, so we can end it. All right, we got a bunch of people on the line to talk right now, so let's go. Um, oh, we got Mike Harris, but you know what? Glenn Keeling's been waiting for a while, <laughs> and then we'll bring up Mike. Mike's got an update. We had a raid in Adelanto, and uh, the FBI came in and raided um, the mayor's office, and it was tied to some corruption regarding cannabis. Imagine that. So let's find out what's going on. And we got Pete Yaple on the line. We got some exciting stuff going on in New York City. And we got Tom Corby, of course, with the NorCal report. So we'll see if I got time to continue my thoughts or not. We got a lot of folks saying a lot of things. So we got Glenn, then Mike, and, uh, and we'll go on from there. Glenn Keeling, welcome to the show. Always glad to hear your voice. Hey, Joe. Thanks for having me on. How are you doing this evening? I'm above ground, breathing, currently out of custody, so I'm doing fantastic. Right on. That's a great thing. Man, I'm I'm really glad that, that Brian got a chance to call in and talk tonight, you know, and it, it's, it's good to know that, you, you know, in this fight of re-legalization, you, you know, that there is people that is in the law enforcement area that do absolutely support this, especially coming from attorney's aspect, you know, uh, that do that, that does support, you know, and it's not. We, we can't really. It, it would be re-legalization, is really what it would be. Um, but we we need to decriminalize it, deschedule it, you, you know, before we even attempt to legalize it, you, you know, because legalization. I mean, look at we're all seeing it now that. Just because they say that you're in a legalized state, it really doesn't mean shit. It doesn't mean nothing, you know, because law enforcement is going to do what they want, when they want, and it's not going to matter how far in law 
walking the line that you're doing, they're going to do what they want, and it doesn't matter. We need to reschedule this and decriminalize straight across for everyone everywhere to give everyone a fair chance. Our choices of words are so important. And when people talk about legalizing, I I say to myself, it's like legalizing rainwater. Okay, there are places in America where it's illegal to gather rainwater. Well, you know what I say to that? Who the hell are you to tell me what I can do with rainwater that lands in my yard? But there's places in America that say, no, you don't get to have that rainwater. It's ours. And if you take it, you are committing a crime. And thus, that rainwater would be illegal. Um, That's bullshit. I'm sorry. You, You can't take something that comes from the sky or comes out of the ground and say it's legal or illegal. It's not something that you have domain over. How how does anybody have domain over the rain? But yet we've allowed that to happen. There are are places in in America where you're not allowed to gather your own rainwater. So I, I, I am, you know, anytime somebody talks about legal, I think to myself, how is this even in that scope? And and I think that, you know, repealing this prohibition is an important term or decriminalizing. Decriminalizing is a great word. It's it's, it's something that's been made criminal unjustly. So therefore it should be decriminalized. That's a great that's a great way to put it. Repeal, abrogate, there's all these words that are accurate, but legalized to me is certainly not an accurate use of term. Right, absolutely. I, I agree with you. And, and it's and it's sad that you that the government will put restrictions on nature. You, you know, I mean, and and that is absolutely the world that we are living in now. That you know, we have to put buckets in our backyard and disguise them as flower pots. You know, to collect some water. It, it's it's a shame. It's absolutely a shame that we have to live the way that we're all living now. And, and it seems like, you know, a lot of us are fighting for a difference, but it seems like a lot of people are just okay in settling. You know, they're okay with the way that they're living. They're okay with having somebody tell them, you know, what they can take, when they can take it, and how they can take it, what doctors to go and see, what, what items to buy. It, it, and it's coming to, you know, it's horrendous the way that we're treated in a free America. You know, uh, water, rainwater cannot collect it. So how fucking free are we in America when you cannot collect rainwater? I couldn't agree with you more. Um, you know, it's funny. We were just discussing something uh, yesterday that I'm not going to reveal yet on the radio, but um in about a month or so, less than a month, we're going to have a really cool thing happen on the East Coast, and I'm 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 more and more excited about it. Um, and how it plays out really isn't important, but what's important that we're going to be making, um, we're going to be breaking some ground on the East Coast in the next uh, three four weeks, and uh, I'm really much looking forward to it. So I understand we had uh, one of the defendants. Um, that that has that that case that's been on here um, was on earlier, but um, he dropped off. 
you want to give an update of what happened in the courtroom? I did see a picture, a court support picture. I'm, I'm, uh, my hat's off. I'm, I'm proud to see, uh, um, you know, us standing together with our brothers in arms. Glad to see those ribbons uh, being worn proudly. And uh, I know that we're going to have the desired outcome once again. Um, and it doesn't matter where we are, we're going to have that desired outcome. But why don't you tell us what happened? Yeah. They, they, uh, their bonds were continued as they were, um, and, of course, they were given another court date. So it, it's going to it's gonna end up for them the same way it went with Peggy and I, and, and it goes the same way with almost every case that people that fight it, they're going to keep taking them back to court, taking them back to court, taking them back to court, trying to wear on them. But they got another court date set for next month on the 12th, um, they're in Toledo in Lucas County. Um, so yeah, everything is pretty much continued the same way it was. Their bonds were continued. Uh, they are free. They're able to move about and do what they want and do. Um, all except for, uh, one defendant, Amanda, who is incarcerated because she was previously on probation when she got this, this case. Um, she is currently being held down there where she's from home, uh, but everybody else is out. Got another court date set for them, um, and and it sounds like it. There, the doctor showed up for them. There was a few other people, like I was saying, uh, I I had kind of given a little update. But there was a few people from a few other groups. Um, Chad Thompson, uh, formerly from uh, Normal Ohio, Normal was there. Um, Rhonda, I did not catch her last name. Um, Agard, I think, is her Rhonda Agard was, showed up there which was really nice that there was they had some court support uh, either way it went. Um, but, yeah, listen, you, you know, we will go and stand with anybody anytime and fight with them and for them, but we cannot do this unless you contact us. The easiest way to contact me is to find me on Facebook, Glenn Keeling, pretty easy to find, or you can give me a call at 419 419- Eight six three zero four nine eight. Pretty easy. Excellent, Glenn. And I'm hoping that um, the one defendant that we spoke with last week, I'm hoping that his wife or girlfriend or uh, significant other did end up contacting you guys. Uh, it sounded like she really needed to talk. Yeah, she got a hold of Peggy, and they were able to talk. And, and uh, I guess they've been talking quite a bit. So it, it And it's nice to have somebody that to talk to about this, you know, that's been through it and that kind of knows what to expect and how to expect things and that kind of give you kind of support. So, again, reach out if you're going through, and it doesn't matter whether it's a, a, a drug-related case. Uh, if, if you're going through any kind of case or any kind of I- anything, reach out to somebody and ask for help or even just to ask to talk, it, and, it, and it really does a lot of good. I couldn't agree with you more. I had a conversation uh, a couple of days ago. A woman called me up from Florida, and um, her son was from Oregon, and he was currently in custody in Georgia. And um, apparently uh, he was hauling some weight from Oregon, and uh, somebody tipped off the local law enforcement. He got pulled over, and... Um, you know, he's facing trafficking charges, and um, it was a difficult call because sometimes there's a lot that I have to offer 
legally, meaning uh, there's there's defense strategies and whatnot, and and sometimes all there is 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 a little bit of empathy um, to be able to say, I know where you're going through, I know what's going on, and 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 give them at least something that they can cling on to um, to give some hope. And I spoke with this woman for probably 20 minutes or so, um, and when I was done. You know, it it's going to be a difficult case, and and her son's probably going to take a plea deal, and he may end up doing some time over it. Um, it doesn't matter where this guy stands with the law. I don't care if you broke the law or not. They're bad laws. They're all bad laws. You should be able to drive a thousand pounds across twenty states if you want. It shouldn't matter. But the fact is, is it's going to be a difficult case to beat. Uh, it wasn't a thousand pounds, but it doesn't. My point is, is, it doesn't matter. And the thing that she said was, you know, I appreciate that you took the time out of your day to listen to me, and you've given me at least a, a little bit of hope. And and the fact that um, she can call me back, and this, this her son's um, girlfriend is supposed to be calling me as well. Um, that's a big part of what we do. You know, a lot of times. People call me up and they're like, oh, I hear the human solution can help me out. Well, what do you mean by that? You know, I don't mean to be an asshole, but what most people mean is, can you give me money or do you have a free lawyer? And the answer to that is probably not. But if you actually want to dig in and fight and if you actually want to uh, dig in and be part of something that's real and, and, and part of something that has people that selflessly Give. I mean, remember, we're an all-volunteer organization. Every single one of us do this because we want to, do this because we feel it's important. And when somebody recognizes that value, that's when it really matters. And so what you're doing up there, um, you're literally the model that I had always envisioned the human solution growing. You had a case. You reached out to us. We did what we do in the same way. And then you've taken it, and you're doing it now for others. And that's that was always the idea. Yeah, that was always the model. And yet, so right. seldom does it happen that way. Right. Yeah. You know, I I can't help but to you know reach out and help others. You know, because I'm telling you, you know, if you've said it, I've said it, and it's been about if you want to alienate everybody around you, catch a drug case, and you will find out absolutely how alone you really are. You know, and at that time, you need people. At that time, I needed people. The Human Solution International Group was there for support, man, and picked me up and helped me out a lot. My wife helped out. You know, I know how, how it feels, and it's really crappy, and it really sucks, you know, and, and it's just sad that other people have to go through this. So we're going to do what we can to help everybody with that we can. I mean, that's just what it is. We're going to help where we can and how we can, but we cannot do it unless somebody reaches out and and asks for help. Well, you're absolutely right, and uh, I appreciate you being there, and um, I look forward to uh, the sixth um, of next month, and uh, we're not I'm not going to say any more than that right now. <laughs> right. Absolutely. So, yeah. right. Glenn Keeling with. Uh, the Creative Care Beacon Chapter of the Human Solution International from Ohio, leading the way, walking the walk, 
and doing the good work. I appreciate you being here. Thank you, Joe. Thank you very much for having me on. You guys have a great evening. You betcha. All right, we got Mike Harris up next. Mike Harris is a sitting board member of the Human Solution International. He's part of our media team. And Mike has been instrumental in getting a lot of these stories um, of cases that are coming up, cases that we've ended up supporting, and getting them to be seen on a broader scope. And um, many of these cases he's been able to uh, really tap into uh, a social media um, network and even tap into some of the, the um, mainstream news on a couple of occasions. Uh, Mike's also been a court, an avid court supporter. He's always been there uh, when we needed, when somebody locally was uh, standing up to fight for their rights. Mike was always there with us. So um, we appreciate him being a part of this, and he's got a story to tell today. Mike Harris, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Oh, good, Joe. Just uh, sitting here uh, letting my cat bite my hand because uh, yeah. he likes playing that way. Well, hey. <laughs> Cats are just like that. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, anyways, um, I, I live in uh, Southern California, and uh, about, you know, 40 miles, I guess, uh, north of Joe, uh, as the crow flies, something like that. And about an hour north of me is a town called Adelanto. And they kind of figure significantly in California's evolution in allowing cannabis business. They were the first in the state to set the, the city would say that yes, we'll allow cultivation, you know, in our uh, town. <laughs> and they, you know, and according to I guess back when they had till um, Prop 215, if the city said it was okay and they got a, a business license from the city, the state wouldn't intervene. And the state pretty much was already had worked on their own crafting of uh, uh, their. Uh, Bills. Uh, this is before even uh, 64 was passed. So, anyways, Adelanto, you know, gets um, cultivation people, and there's a just a huge land boom going on in you know Adelanto in the last couple of years. They've, uh, but there there's been a revolving door at City Hall because only just a bare majority of the people at City Hall really were instrumental in letting this happen. Uh, uh, we fast forward to um, yesterday, <coughs> excuse me, and the FBI um, is reported to be raiding the mayor's home of Adelanto, a, a guy, Mr. Care, um, and they've got a picture of him in the Victor Valley Press, you know, doing the perp walk handcuffs. <laughs> Later on, I find out they didn't arrest him, only detained him while they were clearing out his house from all of the stuff that they wanted, um, computers and records and whatnot, Yeah, as, you know, the FBI does. Of course, you know, they were there with their black jackets and um, automatic, you know, military-style rifles as well. Um, ongoing, when this is happening, also there are were um, um, actions going on in... Um, a law firm, which is co-owned by the one dispensary owner in um, Adelanto, the jet room, is being raided simultaneously, the one dispensary that they, they have. And uh, that is ran by Mr. Serrano, and his brother is uh, the one who has the law firm. City Hall was raided 
and were shut down for the day, and they were collecting records and whatnot. And their their um, interest was the city attorney, the former city attorney, people with building and planning. Um, there's a really extensive list if you would I'd like to read the story in the San Bernardino Sentinel, San Bernardino County Sentinel. It was in, um, yeah, yesterday's paper. Yeah, you can get it online, and so it's really easy to look up. But it is. It was like a, a red wedding in Atlanta, I kid you not. And then later I heard that the DEA was also at the dispensary. So um, the news was reporting it pretty much as a corruption case, but not, say, a crackdown. Although anytime the federal government is involved, you know, you have to assume that maybe because Adelanto was the first in the state and uh, Jeff Sessions has just been itching to find a reason to, you know, or a way that they use a corruption angle to go after this city. And now, um, you know, and it's it's quite likely, you know, that uh, the, the mayor and the people involved, maybe that they weren't um, reporting taxes or maybe that there was a big... Um, uh, graft going on, you know, a big shakedown with people that would uh, try to either, you know, buy property or would uh, want to apply for the license because you can't um, get a state license without a local license. Anyway, so, yeah, it was a bloodbath. And, um, but no arrests were made. Uh, but uh, it's, um, they were uh, sealed warrants. So there, there's really no way of, uh, of, uh, really knowing uh, exactly um, what's going to happen yet. It's going to be like uh, waiting for the other shoe to drop. And that's uh, kind of like what I picked up on it, just reading the uh, news and then hearing from uh, some contacts that I've gotten in Adelanto that were somewhat happy about it happening because they have a dis- want to have a dispensary, but they're claiming they've been shut out the whole time from Adelanto. So, you know, there's, there's a bit of... Um, Goldaggery afoot in in the story. So that's well, that's, what's, that's uh, not you know. surprising. As um, Adelanto is actually a prison town. Pre- previous to uh, this boon of of uh, cultivation, which is kind of funny because I I'm somewhat familiar with some of the players that are. Uh, setting up these cultivations, and they've actually been stymied by a lack of available power to turn these projects on. Um, but there's a federal prison in Adelanto, and it is one of the, you know, that's that's really prior to this, uh, a couple of truck stops in a prison is about all that town has ever been good for. So it's, it's not surprising that there's um, jockeying for, uh, this this grab of of you know resources that uh, I don't know aside from solar power I don't know what else could possibly come out of a place like Adelanto. <laughs> well, they do have actually solar uh, power before uh, you know they they probably one of the earlier ones to have a, a solar field that but that's still farther down at uh, Four Corners. Yeah, um, no shortage of there. But yeah, you know. Yeah, there, when George Air Force Base closed up, that kind of like you know sealed the, the fate of Adelanto, and it's been taking a long time to die. And you know this uh, uh, outreaching to get you know cannabis business there, really, I guess this was the first time in 
eight years they had a, a um, they were in the black on the books, but maybe there's more than just the the color um, in, in the book. Uh, you know, if you know what I mean. I do. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, my yeah, the, always, the it's a cautionary tale, you know, because too tempting with the the power that they have, and I don't think it's really that unusual of a story that is probably, except this one's being played out in the public, and uh, it's you know a, it's a big deal when the the federal government steps in and um, raids you know a, a legally um, registered by the both municipality and the state. And then the FBI steps in, you know. But it's not really, it shouldn't be unexpected because I think it was about six months ago a former councilman um, was um, arrested and he's still behind bars awaiting his uh, time in court because they got him on an FBI thing of accepting a bribe for saying he would help somebody get a, a dispensary. So, you know, the, the government has been looking at this for a long time. Well, you know, San Bernardino as a county is, is certainly not um, um, immune from any of this. You know, Aaron Sandusky, you were there during his trial, and one of the issues that Aaron had was, uh, you know, there was there was some uh, local corruption going on, and the FBI was involved in that long before he was ever raided and, and charged with this. Um, and, you know, the FBI actually assured Aaron that he was fine, he had nothing to worry about, and uh, you know it, it was it was higher up officials that they were um, you know involved with and, and interested in. So certainly, um, I, I I would uh, not see this as being the the beginning or the end of it all. I, I think it's just a, another page in the in in the, the corruption of power. Yep, it's like a, a all too common you know story. Absolutely. Well, Mike, I appreciate you coming on the show, sharing this with us, and uh, I uh, will talk to you very soon. All right. Talk to you guys later. Tell Lisa there's a spider on the wall behind her. (laughs) 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 Gotcha. (laughs) Mike Harris again, once once again. All right. We got Pete Yapel coming up next, and then I'm going to bring in Creed Leffler because um, Pete's got a radio show that he does on Mondays, and I believe Creed's trying to do a big push to get his petition uh, to get some exposure on it, and uh, we're going to try to connect the two dots here. So, uh, Pete Yapel up first. All right. Pete Yapel is a chapter coordinator from one of our new chapters in New York. Um, the Solidarity Over Separation chapter, and Pete has been doing more with this chapter than uh, so many have over over a long period of time, and I'm so excited to be working with Pete. I don't know how long it's been, probably five or six years I've been trying to get a foothold on the East Coast, especially up in that neck of the woods, and finally to get Glenn and Pete together, um, we're, 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 we're covering some real estate now, and in a fine way. Pete, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Uh, Joe, as you say, alive, well, and not incarcerated, so I'm doing pretty good tonight, honestly. I love it. But um, love we're it. doing good. Yeah, we're doing good. Uh, lots of stuff, man. We had the uh, uh, New York City Cannabis Parade 
this past weekend was incredible. Just a lot of networking and meeting great people. And our show is going to be lined up with a bunch of people. I want to apologize to Creed and to everybody for my show Monday. I, I, my computer, got, I got a brand new computer, and then there was something wrong with the operating system, and it didn't get end up getting fixed till the next day. So I couldn't put my show on Monday. But um, in our walks of the city parade. Uh, we were lucky. We ran into Dana, and it was nice to see Dana Beal there supporting, you know, the Human Solutions with his solidarity ribbon on. Um, it was great to see him and speak with him, and uh, you know, and get feedback. He said he had people at his case as well while at his last uh, court appearance, which made me happy to hear. Uh, and you know, I gave my card extended. You know, any help while he's here as well. But while we were there, um, I, we got to march with a group, um, the Capital District Cons- uh, Cannabis Consortium from Albany, and it's a like group as the Human Solutions and such, as they are all incarcerated people. This, people. this is a group of people that have all been incarcerated or been affected by people that have been incarcerated by the plant, uh, because of the plant, and um, and uh, it was great to meet them. And in meeting um, this young lady, Kim, I uh, had the pleasure of meeting a, another gentleman, uh, Joe Barton. And Joe Barton is the Joe Grumbind of, like, New York. <laughs> He's like the godfather here, you know. Like, he was the first one in the 70s that got busted and has been fighting. And, you know, and he's been standing up for people forever and uh, uh joe joe's a, a funny kind of guy you know like no internet no nothing because you know he's uh, he he says i'm a cannabis terrorist and they they bother me in every chance i get so i just don't even bother you know <laughs> but uh joe does uh still have a voice and joe um has a tv show and it airs in Manhattan to 650,000 people, and we've been graciously invited to be guests on the show. What could go wrong? (laughs) That's right. It's called Pot Talk with Joe Barton. Check it out on YouTube, and everybody, if you're not in the city area and don't get the live feed, he's on on YouTube. He's got guests from everywhere. I mean, the guy's got a great show, and um, like I say, we've been asked to be on the show, and I extend the invitation to Joe, uh, not only because I'd love to see Joe in person, and uh, but I just feel it's better, especially uh, I think the connection from the east to the west and the way the cannabis movement is going, we really truly have to share culture and everybody has to understand everybody else's culture. And by doing that, it'll ease the stigma. It'll ease the thing because, because when pot is normal, then, it, then people don't look at it weird. Um, and, and more and more people are coming around, you know, uh, everybody's like, oh, we got their backs. We don't have anybody's backs against the ropes. We're throwing jabs now and we're finally throwing some hooks, you know, now we're finally throwing some hooks because we've been doing things the same way for so long. I'm glad we're starting to change up things. I'm glad we're starting to implement education. I'm really, truly implementing education. And, you know, that's the only thanks to the opiate epidemic I really have because, it's making people more aware of the plant and what and how harmless and helpful the plant is uh, rather than the other way around. Um, and, and I'm just glad to be a part of it, guys, man. You know, working with the Human Solutions has been uh, – has always – and working with you, Joe, just as – we've always clicked. You know, we have that same thought, you know, just end the damn prohibition. Just end it. 
I don't give a shit if my name's in lights. I don't need my name in lights. I just want the fucking plant free and to help everybody else I can along the way, you know, and, and, and that, that I appreciate about, uh, you know, our working relationship, I should say. Oh, I couldn't agree more. Um, I've got Creed Leffler on the line as well, um, so I want to mm-hmm. bring him up. And I know that we're trying to do um, a big push um, before For I forget signature. the date. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. I think we still have another week um, to hit mm-hmm. his target. So um, I'm going to bring him up right now, and we're running bring low right on up. time, so we have to be kind of brief. We've got a few more people that want to talk. I want to make sure I give everybody their check. Tra- Opportunity. You got it, bro. Um, got the wrong one here. Creed Leffler, you are live on the air. Welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? How are you? How are you guys? How are you doing? Creed, I, I uh, understand you were trying to get on uh, Pete's show, but uh, he had some technical difficulties. Um, I'm on your position uh, right now. I'm going to Read it real briefly. We have a kind of a shortage of time today, but we now currently have 6,092 signatures. The goal is 7,500. I'm doing a quick background here. Um, this is Creed, 24-year-old male with cerebral palsy, believes certain properties of the plant, the cannabis plant, help with toxicity, but would like to do more research having to do with the brain, specifically the brains of people with CP. Unless we remove marijuana from Schedule One controlled substance list, we cannot do this research effectively. So his petition is to remove marijuana from the controlled su- substances list uh, Schedule One. Uh, so Creed, um, what's what's your message today? My goal is three hundred thousand on Monday. My goal is three hundred thousand on Monday. Okay, well, that's a lofty goal. I appreciate lofty goals. I, I am full of lofty goals myself. So 300,000 from, from 92, all we need is 294,212 signatures. We got this. I will, I will be live on three different shows. Three different shows on Monday. Beautiful, beautiful. Will you go? Well, I, I, I know that Pete will um, be able to bring you live up on his show on Monday, and um, I, I don't know that I'm going to be able to put a show up on Monday myself because my show's already scheduled on Wednesday. But um, I, I will certainly. Um, Continue this. No matter if we hit three hundred fifty thousand, we're going to want three hundred fifty thousand more after that. So there's, there's, I'm all about the end game, which is we need to end prohibition. We need to remove this plant from the schedule one, and I support this one hundred percent. I've clearly signed it, and I've shared it around, and I will do whatever I can to uh, support this effort. Quick, quick thing. Back to what you did earlier. Um, Noble helped me once, but they won't help me again because 
there goes down the line with mine. Well, I'll you know what? It. The Human Solution I'll International and and all the organizations that we do work with, our goals do align with yours, and our goal is to end prohibition entirely. So um, I know there's a lot of groups out there that have different agendas, and you know what? There's people inside those groups that, that are supporters. Um, we do the best we can with what we have to work with, and we make alliances wherever we can. So I, I don't disparage any other group, even if I don't agree with them. Um, but I certainly support those who support our mission, which is to end prohibition entirely. So, Creed, I hate to cut you short today, but I've got eight minutes and four callers still to go, and I'm going to uh, need to move on. But I certainly always welcome you to join the show, and um, I know that Pete will certainly <clears throat> make a spot for you on Monday's show. Absolutely. Okay. Thanks, Pete. Love you. All right, Creed Leffler once again, and uh, we will post um, a link to the petition once again on this. And just please get in there. Let's sign this thing. Let's get uh, let's get our words to be heard. It's it's a simple way. Anybody can do it. Um, you know, I'm not a big giant fan of these petitions, but when one is um, as clear and sound as this one, it's a simple message. Let's deschedule this thing. It doesn't make sense that it's there. All right, Pete. Well, again, we are running low on time, but if anybody wants to help out in New York, um, how do they get a hold of you? Uh, they can find us at Cano We Talk 42 and the small letter O um, dot com. Uh, you can get us at my phone number, the personal phone number is 845 522 3162, and I'll take calls at any time, guys. I know we have sometimes different coast things, but. I run on a clock that you know, is different than most. <laughs> so, and if I well, don't answer, please just leave a message. We can, yeah. and we do the best the best we can all the time. And and Pete, you you definitely are a man that walks the walk. And you and your lovely wife are uh, just uh, a, a great asset over there on the East Coast. And I I look forward to uh, closing the loop between the two coasts and really bringing this home. So. Um, Again, Absolutely more, more to follow. <laughs> All right, folks, again, That's Pete Capel, right. Solidarity Thanks, Over Separation Chapter of the Human Solution in New York. All right, I've got about uh, five minutes and three callers. i got Cody Donnelly, i got Luke with Opie's Law, and i got Tom Corby with the NorCal Report, and I'm still going to share my vision at the end of the show. So we're probably going to run a minute or two late. Um, Tom, you're going to give the NorCal report. We're going to do an intro uh, with Luke and Cody and probably try to schedule you both to come on next week to really get into it. Uh, so first of all, Tom Corby with the NorCal report. Welcome to the show, Tom. Uh, thanks, Joe and Mary, for great screening. Becca, uh, George, and the Coffee Party radio show. Uh, well, when we talk about uh, cases in Northern California I always like to bring out uh, and I want to shout out to uh, Attorney Unger uh, that how how we're doing this I think is so important Joe you actually got me on the right track here probably three 
years ago on a couple words here is advocacy and also BD trial. Uh, the point you find you hammered home to me and all must come and see is this, that if you, if, if more people like Frank and Ann here with me today and all the f- folks up here in NorCal and, and, and beyond uh, taken to the tr- on the trial, because Joe brings out what, 7 to 10%, maybe most people make a plea deal. Uh, and the reason for that is, and Attorney Unger will, will, will certainly agree, when, when a defendant uh, is in jail or just gets out, uh, they need advocacy. They just need some right directions. I don't really believe they have to pay uh, a big sum for attorney right off the bat. Uh, on Dana Bill's case, he has a very good attorney. Uh, he only paid 5000 He's already done really good work, got the discoveries, filing on time. Uh, on the other hand, uh, Nick Moran, we talked about his historical uh, trial acquittal here in Duke County. Uh, when he first uh, he first hired uh, attorney Scarf uh, for seventeen thousand five hundred, uh, finally it turns out well Scarf did not that he didn't do a few things, but he didn't file in a timely manner. You know that's another battle. Uh, also, he actually uh, admitted to uh, Nick at one point that he really doesn't know much about cannabis cases. So and my point being is why would he even take the case? So uh, Nick, to try to cut to the chase here, ends up paying another 20000 for our number one attorney here that has not lost a trial. Of course, that's Joseph Tully. And uh, so the, the mindset is uh, when the defendant gets out, uh, first of all, uh, you want to fall behind your attorney, make sure they file. We can use our PD. Let, go ahead and let the, uh, the courts assign you a PD because we can use them. We can also redirect them like we have many right here in Butte County. So we can use our PDs. Uh, uh, don't forget to breathe. The one thing, the thing that we want to do is we don't want to waste our 995 motions. So I like to put the 995 dismiss probable cause motion all in one motion. Uh, that goes a long ways. In fact, I brought out before in our case, seven years now, it's still in the, our courts on the 995 probable cause. Looks like to me that maybe that our case could still be dismissed. Uh, and another thing, folks, uh, if, you, if you have to plead out, I mean, if you have to make a deal or you have to, uh, once you once you pay your fines and you've done your time, uh, now uh, I believe you can file. And maybe you have to go back to court and get it uh, dismissed on your records, which is very important, and clear those records up. Uh, uh, doc, uh, it's been kind of lonely here. Dr. Allen uh, has been in Australia at the Cannabis Museum over there. He's going to get home tonight. I'll try to get him on next week. He's coming up, and he can share about his trip to Australia uh, Nick uh, Alex Lyons, MIA, he's, in, he's been in Hawaii for 10 days, and Frank Canan, right, he just got back, I fixed him up at the airport, Zach, he's here, he's been in Colorado, they're all back, and then Nick, Nick Moran's been up watching the farm, yeah, Nick's up watching the farm, and, uh, okay, I want to cut to the chase, and I want to thank Pete Gable, uh, I got his, uh, 
Facebook post. Uh, he when he, he said it was nice to see Dana Bill wearing his solidarity ribbon. I did post that that is original ribbon from Joe Grumbine down there, which we pinned on him right here when we ha- helped Dana with his with his case. And uh, Dana comes back up uh, on June 6th, and this looks like a, a preliminary hearing. We're going to do our best to try to get up there with some court support uh, with Tabitha and them up in Northern California, uh, Shasta and North, and uh, get some court support. So important. Uh, okay, I want to thank everybody today. Thank you, Bill, and uh, for all those coming together to finally uh, help you the solution, volunteer. And, and and the failed war on cannabis. So basically, all our POWs, no one's go to jail for a plant. Thank you all today. Absolutely right, Tom, and I appreciate uh, your brevity as much as you could pull together. We are now officially overtime, which means I'm going to be bringing up uh, the last two guests. The rule of my show is everybody that calls in and wants to talk gets a chance to talk. That means we go overtime a little bit sometimes, but when we're overtime, we got to keep it brief and we we queue up a conversation for next uh, for next week. So we got Luke um, and we got Cody, and I, let's try to keep it down uh, to a minute or two, and we'll set the stage for a deeper interview for next week. Uh, Luke, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Hey, my brother. I'm doing wonderful. I just wanted to say really quick, thank all of you for making the world a better place, my friend. And I just want to thank each and every one of you individually from all of us, my friend. Well, you have That's always been a perfect of happiness. I appreciate your attitude as well as everything else. Um, how's the Opie's Law going? It's going wonderful, my friend. I'm, current, I'm still over here in Pennsylvania on the East Coast, bringing that West Coast love over here. And um, it, it's actually going very well, very well. Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. Well, you've always been an ally, and um, I, I, we've walked together uh, numerous times, and uh, you're quite a traveler. You get around a lot. Uh, I'm hoping Pennsylvania suits you well. I'm going to be uh, in Pennsylvania in the next few months uh, working on a project out there uh, with George Martirano. So um, when I get out that way, I'll look you up. I'm near Pittsburgh, and you're welcome anytime, my friend. I will be in Detroit for uh, a couple of days in June for the Canicon up there. Then I'll be back right, in De- so back here in Pennsylvania. Beautiful, beautiful. All right, well, I appreciate you checking in, and uh, as always, you got a place to to, to pitch your uh, your ideas and and uh, share your share your your love. Uh, I appreciate everything. All right, my friend. One love to all of you. Beautiful. All right, now we got Cody, and uh, then a glimpse into my vision, and then we'll close out the show. Cody, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Hey, Joe. How are you doing? God bless you. I'm hanging in there. Listen, real, real fast, I got chest pain, so I can't stay on long. Um, do you know of any way that we as a unit in solidarity can sue the federal government for neglect of our health and our mental health, our physical health, for abuse? for all the things that they're doing that are not diligent when it comes to taking care of American citizens. This is a plant. This is not a drug. That Can they concentrate on feeding the hungry for a while? Can they concentrate on anything else but us? Get off our asses. Go take Trump to jail. 
I mean, do something that says it's going to make logic and sense to the rest of the nation. But potheads, leave us alone. It's ridiculous. Can we sue the federal government over this? Well, I, I believe that there's a couple of actions. One of them is, I believe it's called Form 92, um, and we've done a couple of shows on that in the past. I'll go back and review that information, but it is a way to file um, a complaint that could ultimately become a suit. Um, and we, that's one thing that we have that, that as citizens we can do. Um, but beyond that, I mean, I think it's going to take somebody with a little more uh, specific legal knowledge in civil law um, and unfortunately, all the attorneys that we've ever had that were experts in that, that have helped us in any way, um, have moved on to other endeavors. But I certainly welcome, um, you know, any legal expert, any lawyer or uh, paralegal that knows what it takes to sue the federal government um, uh, on this behalf or any other. There's certainly a way to do it. People have filed lawsuits against the federal government for a number of things. It seems reasonable to me, Cody. I will do what I can to find that out. All right. We'll talk to you on Monday. Beautiful. All Thank right. you so much for coming. Thank you so much. All right, folks. That is it for the guest today. George Marcherano normally calls in. He was unable to make it today. Um, but I want to share with you a glimpse of my vision. You know, so many people have it in their heads that the answer is to pass a law, to, to get some foothold, to gain some ground. And I don't disparage anybody for their thoughts, their ideas. I'm all about freedom, clearly. Do whatever it is you think you can do. But I'm looking for the few people, hopefully not the few people, I'm looking to, to inspire people to wake up and, and imagine just imagine two things. One, imagine a world where the air you breathe was regulated and you were given a certain amount of fresh air and you had to buy it and sell it and and it was taxed and, and, and regulated and, and you had to buy it from licensed people in certain ways or you couldn't have it and people would be dying because they couldn't afford it, or there'd be a black market. Um, you could translate that to water or, um, you know, fresh vegetables or, or, or you name it. What if something that was fundamental to our existence was taxed and regulated in such a way that made it prohibitive? That's one side of the vision. That's the dark side. That's the ugly side. But put yourself in that place. It's a nightmare. It's a world that we couldn't sustain. We would not make it. It would require a revolution of biblical proportions to overturn, and it would be a worthy revolution. Now let's take a moment and put yourself in a place where you know you can really envision this. But put yourself in a place where the cannabis plant was the same as a marigold or the same as a mint plant or a tomato plant or a rutabaga or whatever it was. And you could put them in your vegetable garden anytime you wanted, as many of them as you wanted. And you could make cannabis sauce just like you can make tomato sauce. 
And you could take them to the farmer's market and sell them as you saw fit. And you could go to the grocery store and buy it as you saw fit. And you could go and, and get anything that was made from it in a in a manner that was safe, maybe regulated the same as any other food product for safety reasons. There are some value to some regulation, but certainly let it have been similar to everything else that's similar. Imagine a place where you could go to a health food store or a grocery store or a drug store, any kind of store, and purchase any number of products that was made from this plant without ridiculous 20-30% taxes, without there being a, a seed-to-sale trace on it, without there being uh, specific protocols for this, that, or the other thing. And, and imagine a world where it didn't cost, you know, as much as it does, because anybody can grow it. And it would be a world where somebody who was really good at this would still be able to make a living, and somebody who knew how to make things with it would still have a significant value. Imagine a world where if you grew a 1,000 plants and you needed to take them across the country, you could load them up into a U-Haul and take them where they needed to go to the people that needed them. And if you got pulled over, you didn't have to worry about them seizing your property and taking you to prison and charging you with felony crimes and attempting to destroy your life and seizing all your, your assets. Imagine that world. I do. I imagine that world every single day. I imagine a world where the prisons don't have a single person, not one person, in federal prison, in state prison, in private prison, in local prison. There isn't one person who is there because of this plant. Now, if somebody steals this plant, you're there for theft. If somebody does something to destroy somebody's property, you're there for a different crime. But specifically because of this plant, imagine a world where... You couldn't be locked up just for this plant. Imagine a world where you couldn't have your child taken away because of this plant, where if CPS came out because of, for whatever reason, or DCFS or whatever they're called, where you are, because there was some perceived danger to the child, and they were to see a plant growing in the yard, a giant 20-foot-tall cannabis plant, it wouldn't be considered a threat to the child because reasonably it wouldn't be a threat to the child. Imagine if you had your cannabis medicine in a place that was reasonable to have it, but it wouldn't be considered that you were endangering or neglecting your child so much so that your child could be taken from you. Imagine a world where to be tested for cannabis didn't mean that you would lose your job if you were to be found in your bloodstream because clearly it lasts in your bloodstream much longer than a high lasts in your head. Imagine if we lived in a world where your job performance itself was the thing that dictated whether you kept a job, not whether you had a substance in your bloodstream. Imagine if you were a veteran and you had served your country, whether you believe in our military or not, those people that serve our country 
are veterans, and they are entitled to certain rights as a result of that. And imagine, as a veteran, if you were to choose to use cannabis and you had a serious injury and you needed some other kind of pain medication, that the doctor would give it to you without a second thought. Imagine all these things. Imagine a world where cannabis was considered to be a therapy for a number of ailments, including cancer. Imagine if you lived in a world where cancer was becoming eradicated because people were taking cannabis so much so that tumors weren't proliferating the way they are today. I imagine that world. I see that world as as a reality, and I believe that if enough of us could see this world, visualize it, see it, taste it, experience it in your mind, we could make it happen. And it wouldn't involve any laws that allowed for any of the legalization that we have. None of them would apply, not one of them, because every single law that's been passed to date still allows for there to be a place where that law can be broken and that a person can be locked up and they can lose their freedoms, their rights, and their privileges. I want to leave you with that because that's what this show is really about. That's what the human solution is really about. And that's what I'm really about. That's why we do this. So I want to thank you all for being here. And I want to thank Mary for doing a great job screening. I want to thank Becca today for backing everybody up and sending me the secret messages that let me know what I was looking at on my board. But to be double-backed was awesome. I'd rather have two people watching than one person and and, uh, not knowing what was going on. I want to thank Lisa, my vice president, for making sure we got a good video today. And um, everybody else that was part of this show, I want to thank you all, and we will see you all next week. Hi, I'm Willie Nelson, and the Willie Nelson Teapot Party and I endorse The Human Solution, supporting cannabis prisoners because no one should go to jail for a plant. Little things I should have said and done, you were always on my With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.